Justin Angle uh, in studio with us uh, here on this Tuesday. What's up, man? Thanks for being here. It's good to be here. Thanks. Uh, first of all, blackout on Saturday night on the University of Montana campus. Right. You're back in the classroom, so you're teaching. Mm-hmm. Any buzz? I know it's only Tuesday, but is anybody talking about the night game and the blackout? Uh, I mean, I think there's generally some excitement. Um, you have a lot of the, a lot of football players in my freshman introduction to business class, oh, cool. business safari. So, you know, I think there's generally some hype around it. Well, let's get the pulse tomorrow. Monday was Monday morning was a little hard to get yeah, the pulse. Yeah. I'll, I'll be with them again tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Um, here's the fact of the matter, though. We, we talk about this all the time, the way that the Grizz budget works in terms of the overall athletic department and the way football and football scheduling plays into that. Montana's at this um, this point, which I think is, is impressive, but also sort of handcuffing, where... If the Grizz play a home game in September, they're going to sell that thing out. It doesn't sure. matter who they play. And, and so then you sort of put together this schedule where you have some games that you, you should win at home, try to build momentum, because you know you're going to sell twenty five or 26,000 tickets uh, no matter what. But I do think that the athletic department deserves some credit because there might be some people looking at their tickets thinking, Ferris State, who's Ferris State? Right. But you give people a little bit of an action when you you know move the kickoff to 6 p.m. I don't like night games, but I know most people do. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you make it a blackout. So I don't know. I think I think it's a good marketing strategy by Montana. I think the night games are exciting. They you know the the way the events are produced in that stadium is is super well done in my view. Uh, I mean we can quibble about lines for beer or whatever, but like the production quality I think is quite high. And putting it at night, I. I, I I know there's other constraints and complaints associated with that, but as far as the experience goes, it's pretty cool. The blackout piece, you asked me about that before, like it's, I I think at this stage, it's kind of a little gimmicky. Sure. um, Because it's not that original. And I look at things that, you know, from a branding perspective, like everything you do either adds to brand equity or detracts from Mm. brand equity. Interesting. So... The case of a blackout, you know, it adds in the sense that it kind of gets people involved. It might sell some more merch, but it those aren't your standard colors. And it's also a move that a lot of other schools make. So I think it dilutes brand equity from that perspective. It's fewer of the standard colors and jerseys out there. So it, it just kind of... Um, it takes the brand image uh, and, and how it's visually represented and just d- dilutes its presence in the marketplace a little bit. It's inter- an interesting analysis for sure. The business angle presented by Blackfoot Communications, Justin Angle in studio with us. Of course, some of the superstitious uh, sports fans out there, they saw the black jerseys and they, they hearkened back to the 2010 Cat Grizz game where the Grizz wore black jerseys with orange numbers mm. and a very similar paw print on the back. And that's when the Cats came to Missoula and posted a, a 21-16 win. And that was the first time the Grizz hadn't made the playoffs in 17 years. It was sort of like uh, this this end of an era. Of course, Montana got back on the horse and, and routed the number one ranked Cats the next year in Bozeman and went on to the semifinals of the playoffs that year. But certainly uh, maybe a little bit of a harbinger of things to come. So people were pretty funny about the, uh, the black jerseys uh, coming back out. How do you sort of balance that though? The the brand equity that you're talking about, but also then the the because make no mistake, there'd be black jerseys for sale. There'd be people wearing black shirts. Yeah. You sell some merchandise for sure. this game. There's a lot of people that are going to go down to the M store or wherever else and, and buy some you know black grizz shirts. So how do you sort of balance those two things? Yeah, I think it's you sort of have to look at it as trade offs, right? Yeah, you might sell some more jerseys, 
right? And that might provide you some revenue, but in the long term, does it do anything to inc- increase the franchise value of the brand? Um, you know, it's, it's an open question as to whether it does. I, I think it's sort of trying, I, I look at it like you're cashing some equity in the, in the short run for short-term revenue versus a longer-run investment in, in the value of the brand. It's interesting because there's like a parallel there. I've been studying a lot in, in, in terms of people's patterns and consuming content. And, of course, we have a two-hour radio show here, but we break it up into two different hour-long podcasts to sort of make it more manageable for people. Um, but there's this notion that more content, concise content, is sure. is, is uh, maybe more consumable or is going to get more traction the more you change, the more you can do these hype videos and the promotions of it all. That's an element of this too, from a marketing standpoint. Yeah. I mean, some of this has been thrown on its head a little bit, like some of the branding decisions associated with, you know, Facebook and meta and, sure. and some of these others changing logos. I mean, it kind of throws a little bit of traditional branding scholarship on its head and thinking about, you know, the way media is consumed now in this TikTok age. I mean, there is something to, um, you know, creating different iterations, creating something fresh and new and disruptive more consistently than before, like the, the sort of staid IBM logo or P&G logo or these sort of monolithic corporations sure. that yeah. have existed for, you know, for, for what feels like centuries how those are have been represented the traditional conventional wisdom is keep the same logo keep it tight keep it consistent deploy it carefully but you know i think we're seeing some brands play with that wisdom in 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 different ways and it's unclear how effective it is if it's getting share of eyeballs and share of attention yeah, that might ultimately end up being the name of the game because the first you know key to branding is brand awareness well it seems like College football is more liberal with their experimentation of all of this than maybe any other sport. College football and minor league baseball. Well, they're way less regulated. Yeah, right. Pro sports are so regulated. The NFL and their uniform restrictions is is pretty uh, legendary. Every NFL team only really has one alternative jersey, and they have to run that by the NFL. I mean, it goes all the way back to the origins of the Air Jordan, right? Yeah. In the NBA, they used to only be able to wear white sneakers. And when Michael Jordan first started wearing black and red sneakers, Nike was paying a fine on his behalf to basically break the rules. And that changed the whole thing forever. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, there's ways to... And that's why I think, like, back to the blackout thing, you know, it was a great idea the first time it was done. Right, 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 right. But, like, not every team can have black as one of their colors. And it's an idea that's already been done. And, it, you know, it, it just comes off as less original. Like the next college volleyball team that fills the stadium to watch a women's right. volleyball game. I mean, sure, they might break the record that right. Nebraska came up with and, and be in right. the Guinness Book of World But it wasn't records, the first one. But the first one is the one that was really powerful. Yeah, it is so interesting because college football, I mean... There, there's some schools like the Penn States and Alabamas of the world that just wear the same jerseys. That's what they wear. They wear their traditional. Yeah. Notre Dame is very much like that. Uh, but then you have the Oregons and the Maryland's of the world that have a different jersey every single time. So it's just kind of all over the place now. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of partial to the Penn State strategy, right? Having that consistency over years, over time. However, I mean, I'm sure that a big selling point in recruiting for Oregon is all the different jerseys and cool gear that you get to test. You're like the Nike skunk works. So there is an appeal there as well. (laughs) The business angle presented by Blackfoot communications, Justin angle uh, in studio with us. Um, 
let's talk about this, the, the cable situation. Yeah. This has been interesting. I can't believe we actually haven't brought this up. We, we haven't seen each other in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, for those that were trying to watch, if you have Charter Spectrum cable service, you know, old school cable, uh, and you were trying to watch Monday Night Football last night, you probably realized that you, you couldn't because ESPN's not on there last night. I was out to dinner. I was trying to watch it. The only thing they could get was the ESPN2 of the Manning cast, but not the actual broadcast of the game. Uh, Take us through this. This seems like a flex for leverage on the NFL's part, but I know you have stuff to say. Well, it's a big standoff um, between Charter and Disney. Right. Right. So Charter is basically the delivery mechanism for Disney's content. Charter owns the rails, right? So you right. sort of need Charter. Not only a lot of subscribers need it for the cable bundle, but they also need it for cable internet. Right. And Disney has had a pretty good business model of charging people twice for its product, right? You pay right. for the cable bundle, but there's uh, uh, millions of people that also pay for Disney Plus, right? And so Charter says, you know, people are cutting the cord. We're losing 7% of our customers every year. We need to pay less for mm-hmm. the Disney products. And one of the ways they can pay less is to force Disney to wrap Disney Plus into the bundle of the services that Disney's providing Charter for the fee. And so there, there's all these different moving parts, but basically one way to look at it is the cable bundle's declining 7% per year. Right. Right. And so in order to make this same amount of money and or grow, which these publicly traded corporations are on a mandate to grow in the system as we've constructed it, they need to charge an increasing price at a rate that not only exceeds the decline of the bundle, so it's going to outpace inflation. Right. Right. And so ESPN looks at this and says, wow, you know, we are our business models under stress and now we're forced to raise our prices at the same time, Disney's trying to scheme up a direct-to-consumer model to try to bring ESPN in particular over the top. Disney's realizing it's over-invested in streaming. It's not getting the margin it thought it could. So it's it's both companies are under pretty intense pressure here. And they were kind of in this game of chicken. And then I think they finally realized that, like, whoa, we're both kind of in the same boat in a way right in this and this boat is kind of sinking right (laughs) and rather than be in a hurry to sort of you know puncture deeper holes in either side of the boat they've tried to figure out a way to collaborate so this this deal feels like it's a middle path it gives charter some of it what it what it wanted and in enough of a way that the cable bundle i think will decline maybe it'll continue to decline but it this didn't precipitate a further decline and ESPN and Disney and so forth are able to kind of hold on a takeaway in terms of some of the themes we've talked about is yeah. i think there's just less money in the system mm. where does right? that come from i think the cable bundle provided a lot of consumer surplus. Right. People were paying- You're buying the whole cable package, even though you only want 11 of the channels, you're paying for a whole bunch of other channels you don't necessarily want, exactly. but you don't care. And that created a lot of surplus in the system. Right. Right. And, and so that created a mechanism where there was a lot of growth and there was mm-hmm. a lot of money sloshing around. And consumers, you know- Rightly so. Like Netflix comes along and says, "Oh, no, we can we can serve you content directly," 
And then, you know, COVID sort of accelerates this with everybody being at home and not going to movie theaters. And you see all this rise of streaming, right? Well, streaming is, is yeah, you give customers what they want, but you charge a much lower price for it because you're trying to race to having some sort of a platform effect that right. hasn't appeared to play out the way that I think people thought it would. Anyway, w- what I'm getting to is there's less money in the system. So you're asking often like how you know how much more can the nfl do and can it get bigger can it continue to grow like maybe the nfl can right but i think what we'll see is you know um smaller deals for other pro sports you know less money in the system smaller rights deals smaller contracts um maybe a period of contraction in professional sports. I mean, this, this, there, there's a lot of, of unknowns, but with less money in the system, it seems like uh, some sort of decline is inevitable. It's, there's, there's so many different ways that could, this could all go. The business angle here on Nuwana is now uh, ESPN Radio. Justin Angle in studio with us, presented by Blackfoot Communications. Well, and then, then, then enters the peril of, of what's going to happen when all the bidding rights come up for grabs yeah. and how much pressure that puts on ESPN, for example, to maintain their their huge deals they already have with the NBA and college football yeah. and Major League Baseball. What happens when there's new people in that market? I, I, I'm so captivated on how this is all going to play out because you might even see a little bit of a revival in cable. I don't know. Do you think? Is that possible or is this going to all go the, the way of streaming? How, how does this even out or level out? It's, it's unclear to me. I, yeah. I, I think the streaming model makes a lot of sense for the customer yeah. in a um, in a content on demand model right where like I want to watch Game of Thrones and I want to watch it when I want to watch it right right whereas live sports they're still scheduled yes right so there you know I think to I think the cable bundle will persist live live sports will sort of keep the cable bundle um, afloat yeah for a, a period of time yes. But eventually, I mean, the streaming model seems like the way to go. At the same time, there's just too many darn channels out there. Well, right, that's true too. And so we'll see consolidation in terms of the content. I think. I think, you know, right now we've had like an overabundance of content, and we're seeing that. Oh yeah, there's not enough like advertising dollars in the system to right. pay for all of that. Right. So we're going to see a contraction there. Well, you wonder. If the NFL, I mean, how how essential is network TV to the NFL? Could the NFL go completely independent, have its own sort of streaming network? It's an interesting question. I mean, if you look at the kind of monopoly power that the NFL has. Yeah. Okay, so access to broadband is still an issue. It's not as widespread across the country as if somebody who has broadband thinks it is. Right. Right? Like, I don't know the exact percentages, but it is not as high as you think. For sure. Right? So broadcast TV is still an important way that, that many Americans access that content. Totally. However, assuming, you know, that broadband becomes more and more ubiquitous... Um, the NFL might just have the same kind of market power that in the infrequency of events that boxing has. Like you might be able to go with like an old school boxing pay-per-view model for NFL games. Right. It wouldn't work for baseball. Right. You might have some league pass or something. Well, and that's where baseball has gained a little bit of footing lately is they have this MLB app and you can get MLB TV. You can get it for a third of the price after the all-star break. Yep. And then all of a sudden, you know, you do get people that just want to watch the Braves or the Yankees or, you know, whoever it might be. 
So there, I, I think the same dynamics exist, right? Like the, the NFL wants to charge you for a package where you're buying more games than you want to see. Yes. Right. And, and baseball will do the same thing because I, I think the wisdom is the wisdom there is, yeah, these bundled products offer some service. You're willing to pay a little bit more than you would for the one thing you want to watch. Yes. In order to watch that one thing you want to watch, and be about, but by being held captive to that, it creates surplus for these entities to kind of, well, one, they can spend a ton on the rights, but two, they can support some other benefits that customers have kind of come to enjoy over the years. Well, and another factor that could play is sports gambling, but also how, yeah. how much the sports books have a captivity of this, because you already seen this. I, I was in Vegas for only a day, but MGM does not only have a sports book, they now have a website that covers sports to oh, yeah. promote the sports that they want people to bet on. So what happens when, you know, one of the big time sports books comes in and buys the broadcasting rights or something, or has a huge hand in the advertising and promotion of the broadcasting rights. Like, like if there was ever to be a big slippage in the, from the top four professional American sports, I think that's where it would be boosted back up is a proliferation of content produced by the sports books themselves. Yeah, and I think we see that with that partnership that ESPN right. entered into, right? For sure. We're going to see more of those. And it will be interesting to see how that plays out. Like, we've done a fair amount of hand-waving in this section, or this segment, about yes. sort of the ethical implications of that. Right. Um, but ultimately, like, I do think it's sort of a, a business strategy that does have some existential risk. Like, it could undermine the value of the underlying um, asset, which, in my view, are, are the games and the athletes and the, the, right. that production, that piece of content. Um, if you have less authentic engagement in the content and, you know, the introduction of um, perverse incentives, then... You know that that it quickly kind of could become a house of cards. I think that's I don't I know how likely that risk is, but it's a risk that increases the more in bed with the gambling interest you get. It's such a dichotomy because on one hand, the people that are are hooked to professional sports because of sports gambling, that's going to evolve to be even more of a passion for them. They're going to be even more hooked on it. Yeah. But then you also might ostracize some of the audience as well. Another sort of give and take. Yeah, and who knows how much of this is just sort of, uh, you know, we adapt. For sure. Like we adapt to seeing ads for certain things. Right. We adapt to the level of violence or nudity or language in our content. Right. As I mean, we normalize, I mean, sports gambling is sort of this new thing on the, on the yeah. uh, in our reality. But if you've had a fantasy football team, which most people listen to the show have played fantasy football sometime in the last 15 or 20 or years. Or filled out a bracket, right? Exactly. You, you've you been doing normalized sports gambling. That's like the gateway drug to the, the next version of sports gambling. Yeah, so, you know, I'm sure plenty of people listening smoke weed. And they might not like having a weed shop down the street from them. Sure. Or plenty of pe- those sorts of things. I totally know what you're right? saying. So it's yes. a question of like, okay, if we... You know, you can make, to the extent you make a value judgment about any of these things, right. if you have a little bit of squeamishness, you might be uncomfortable with it right out in the open. Well, it's going to be crazy to see how this all evolves. I actually think that, this is not hyperbole, I, I actually think that one of the, the two or three biggest stories in sports in the in the, the near future is going to be the, the reallocation of how we watch live sports. Yeah. 
whoever figures out a way to nail that, whether it's on the college football perspective, the NFL perspective, a broad conglomeration of all of these things, the next TV contracts, the next streaming contracts, I truly think it's going to be the thing that changes the way that we consume information more than any other factor. Well, we've speculated on that before. Like that, that was one of the things I thought about when Amazon took over the rights to, or Amazon Prime took over the rights to Thursday Night Football. Sure, yeah. like, you could package that. If you're an entity that doesn't need the re- the revenue model associated with advertising to monetize the game, like you could do it in all kinds of different ways. Right. I mean, it might not be the same sort of advertising. It might not be ads for, you know, Cialis and restless leg syndrome sure. to serve up at halftime. Right. It might be ads for, you know, click here for this product that's embedded in the stream. Right. And hey, great. You know, there's not all these media timeouts because we don't need them to serve you ads. Uh, you can just click on the player's jersey and buy that right through the app. You can, you know, all these things, you can, you can make a bet through the app. Right. And, you know, so, so yes, the super app, and, and, and you could create it in such a way that the viewing experience is actually better. It's not so explicitly a mechanism for delivering you ads for products you don't want. That's the biggest dystopia, is the sports books owning all of it, and that all the commercials are replaced by nothing but prop bets and bets that you could make. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's one way it could go, and I think there will be some of that. There will be some of it. I, I, I just hope that's not exclusively what it is. I like sports betting, but I also see the perils of it, and I think having that readily available on a national level would be would be perilous, at the, to say the very least. Yeah, I just think there's such potential in in taking... The product as it is now engineered for a live TV broadcast is just not a great product to view in person. Right. Right? Like, you go to a, a live football game, live basketball game, and the amount of just watching the guys or the girls stand around yes, waiting right, for the timeout right. to be over. It's like the coaches aren't even talking to them. They're not really even resting. Right. They're just sort of waiting to get back on the court. And... The whole sort of, yeah, they, they do some, you know, like, you know, little stunts with kids on the court sure, to fill the time. Right. But it could be so much better, right? And it could close the gap between, I mean, the, 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 the streamed product and the live product could both be better in this, you know, in, in this new conception. Now, will that conception be, be enough to overpower the advertising model? I don't know. I like to think so. I like to think you can lead with product and innovate that way. But um, as we see with some of these streamers introducing an ad-supported model, it's not totally clear that 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 model is one we can innovate our way out of. Well, we will certainly uh, keep you up to date as uh, this continues to evolve. And I don't know, do you think this charter ESPN situation will get settled before football's over? Like, is Monday Night Football going to be back for charter people? Yeah, they 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 uh, established a deal yesterday. Okay, so it's it, so the, le- the 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 threat of not having Monday Night Football for the whole year it works. The Monday Night Football double header coming up next weekend. So I guess they had to no. Get the they deal reached done. the deal, and so far the markets have responded somewhat favorably. Both stocks today, Charter and Disney, were up in trading, uh, not um, explosively so, but. There doesn't appear to be clear winners and clear losers, and that probably means it was a reasonable deal. I had a bunch of other stuff on the list, but we only have time to get to one more thing. Justin Angle in studio, The Business Angle. It's presented by Blackfoot Communications. Uh, Oregon State suing the Pac-12. At first, you sort of gawk at it and think, well, 
what, what sort of case might they have? But then you realize from you know, a short and long-term planning perspective, part of the way Oregon State's probably projected its budgets for the next three to five years involved the guaranteed money they were supposed to get from the Pac-12 deal, television deal. Now that doesn't exist because the league doesn't exist, really. Yeah. So I actually do think they might have some ground to stand on here. Well, and it's unclear what the remedy is necessarily. Right. I mean, I think this comes down to a power struggle. And Oregon State and Washington State, I think they got a pretty compelling um, intuitive case, right? Like, are you going, if you have, if you've, just, if you're one of the 10 schools that have decided to leave the conference, mm-hmm. should you be allowed any voting rights on anything? Right. And, you know, from the perspective of Oregon State, Washington State, like, heck no, they absolutely shouldn't be able, like, these 10 schools shouldn't be able to define our fate. They're, they're leaving, right? They're the ones who left. We should be able to make, we should be able to control mm-hmm. the decisions. Although one of the, one of the, the cruxiest decisions is what happens to the existing assets. It's hard to understand exactly what the assets of a conference is. or some reports that there's up to $47 million on hand, and that it's, it's unclear like what that is exactly for and, right. and, and how that might be offset by liabilities that the, the, the Pac-12 conference has. But if there are decisions about you know, real dollars to be made, I mean, the, leaving, the, the, the 10 schools that are leaving could like divvy up that cash and outvote you know, the two remaining right. schools. So I think there is a, an actual claim and there's some, you know, minutiae in the bylaws. And I think they want a review of the bylaws is. too, because when San Diego State was contemplating leaving the Mountain West, the Mountain West said, hey, hold on, it's going to cost you between 17 and $34 million. Yeah. I think Oregon State wants that to be explored in the Pac-12 bylaws as well, because if everybody has a uh, a departure fee, that could be something that then they could benefit from if they could rebuild the conference. Yeah, I, I I think Oregon State has a reasonable claim here. Like they don't; these other teams decided to leave. Yes, right. And it should be up to, and the conference is likely to dissolve. But it should be up to the remaining schools to determine how things go for that conference, right? And, you know, we'll we'll sort of see how it plays out. The one kind of hammer that could play out in all of this, and we've seen it in other conferences, is, you know, if control were to land solely in Oregon State and Washington State's hands, they could decide that, you know, in in this in this spring season that, you know, the any of the teams that decided to leave can't play in the championships. They can't represent, they can't get the automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. They could really put the hammer down and say, you know, you got to sit out this year. It'd be sort of like a probationary kind of move. Uh, we've seen it done in other conferences and other instances, but yeah, you know, we'll see what it comes to. The one thing that I think is going to be the, the determining factor for what Oregon State and Washington State do next is what the NCAA said last week. They said, if the Pac-12 goes away, so does the guaranteed auto bid yeah. for that league and the guaranteed money that comes with it for the NCAA tournament. In other words... If Oregon State and Washington State go to a different conference, that goes away, and they also have a, a much less chance of earning that. If they could just fill out the league, even with six or seven other schools, yeah. and keep make it the Pac-8, the Pac-9, whatever it might be, you maintain that bid, and now you have a power position in men's basketball to maybe make a run at that auto bid and make a run at that NCAA tournament. Money. It certainly is an appeal, and that might be the selling point to get a, con- a, a team in there, um, particularly since Oregon State and Washington State aren't like super basketball powers. Sure. 
Um, they've had some runs. They ha- they have had some runs. But, they but they're not UCLA. They're not Washington. They're not like some of the other powerhouse Pac-12s that are leaving. Exactly. So, you know, if you have that as a bargaining chip, as, as a way to recruit members into mm-hmm. your conference that, that might have a harder time breaking through in other conferences, um, that, that that's not nothing. What is now ESPN Radio? It's the Business Angle with Justin Angle in studio. It's presented by Blackfoot Communications. Blackfoot Communications building fiber networking all across the state of Montana. Want to see if Blackfoot can get fiber in your home or your small business? Visit goblackfoot.com. Thanks for swinging by, man. Good to see you. Thank you.